John LeBond here on Thursday, the 20th of October 2016, with the third presidential debate after show. And I have to say, when I first scheduled that one this morning, I was very excited. I thought, yep, haven't done a show for a couple of weeks, so let's watch this debate and then do an after show. And I'm not quite as excited now as I was when I woke up this morning. I'd rather just go for a, a walk in the sun and uh, listen to some podcasts or something because I feel a little bit underwhelmed by that debate, I have to say. So uh, here's what I'm going to do. If some of you want to join me on the show, we can just have a chat. We can do that. But uh, otherwise, I'll probably wrap this one up within 10 minutes. So if you want to join me on the show, you know the usual channels. Send through a message and I'll send you the link. But otherwise, I'll just spend five or 10 minutes talking about the debate and just giving my opinion and... Uh, That'll be that. So let's get started then. Yeah, so three debates. Wow, three debates, three presidential debates. Very well rated is what the people are saying. 100 million households across America watched that debate. That was what was claimed by Channel 7 here in Australia. I don't know what the uh, figures, official figures are, but uh, yeah, a lot of people apparently watched these debates. And I did. I watched all three, at least parts of all three. And it got me sucked right in, this presidential circus, this big show. It gets uh, it gets even people like me sucked in. It's very effective at that. And they've got their good guys and their bad guys, and sometimes the good guys and bad guys uh, switch in terms of the media focus. This guy's the bad guy this week. This lady's the bad lady this week, what have you. But more or less, it uh, all just follows the same pattern of he said this and she said that, and he's going to do this and they're going to do that. and. He used to do this, and back when she was in charge, she did that, and blah, blah, blah. But uh, the masses love it. They lap it up. They can't get enough of it. And I can't really judge them because, like I said, I did watch the debate myself. So uh, the one part, my favourite part of that debate was the when the little bit of truth slipped out. Did you notice that part? Uh, maybe halfway into the debate, maybe uh, a little bit like more than that. I did watch the debate. Oh, hold on a second. I'm getting some uh, audio coming through here. We'll fix that up. And, uh, yeah, so I'll check out the live chat while I'm talking as well. But, yeah, anyway, so that little bit of truth came out, didn't it, uh, where uh, Hillary accused Trump of being a puppet and he accused her of being a puppet. Uh, you're a puppet? No, you're a puppet. You're a puppet. No, you're a puppet. Uh, it was very amusing to me. I wish I had a clip of that that I could play for you guys right now. So it was my favourite part of the debate. But uh, other than that, very much uh, a boring stagnant affair. One topic they did get onto that I found really interesting was to do with late-term abortion. I didn't expect that one. And I wonder how many people out there know very much about late-term abortion. If I had have been better prepped for the show, I might have got the statistics up and ready. I might do that uh, while I'm talking right now. But they make for interesting reading, this uh, late-term abortion. Off the top of my head, it's like 1% or less of abortions that are carried out uh, late-term abortions. But that's still, when I did the maths the other day, it still worked out to be uh, several hundred, possibly even several thousand uh, little uh, babies in America per year are killed by late-term abortion. That's what it is. It's killing the baby that's in the, in the womb. It's, it's uh, in any other sense or context, you'd consider it a pretty brutal murder, but it's considered late-term abortion. And I'm not sure how the laws work out in the U.S., state by state or federally, but apparently these late-term abortions are taking place. And it's a tricky one for people who support uh, abortion rights or a part of what they call the pro-choice 
lobby, the people who support Roe versus Wade and what's come subsequent to that. Uh, there's people who think that women should have the right to abort a fetus if she doesn't want it or there's some sort of problem or what have you. And uh, to a large extent, I can understand why people think that way because uh, in uh, many cases, that's what we're kind of trained to think, especially in high school and university in my country, at least. My experience was that this was uh, promoted not just as a, as a matter of policy or a matter of uh, belief, but even the logic behind it. If you took a like an introductory uh, uh, philosophy course or what have you at university, there's a good chance that they used ethical questions like abortion as a way to broach certain topics. And there was like a utilitarianism that was promoted at the time. This is my recollection, which is this idea of, well, what is best overall and it's best blah, blah, blah. And then you get to this conclusion of, well, the women should have the right to choose because, you know, when does life start and all the rest of it, yada, yada. And so I can see why a lot of people support uh, the woman's right to choose is the way they phrase it, the woman's right to choose. Uh, sure, fine, but you do get into these tricky areas where you start looking at things like late-term abortion. Do you support that as well? Do you have to support that as part of your beliefs? It makes for, I think, a fascinating discussion uh, about a number of topics, you know, this idea of life, when does it begin and who has rights and how much right does the state have over the person and Hmm, fascinating little area. So I was surprised that they brought that one up and I thought this could go somewhere, but sadly, even that discussion didn't really go that far. And uh, I mean, it must be difficult. If you just imagine for a second that these puppets are, are trying to be serious and stoke genuine debate, it'd be a tough one to broach in the first place. But um, yeah, interesting little one, that one. But uh, yeah, that was it. There was the Europe puppet, Europe puppet. There was the Roe versus Wade late-term abortion discussion. And oh yeah, and then also the nuclear bombs. Don't you guys, don't you guys find this funny? We just watched a debate where supposedly many millions of people around the world actually believe that one of those two people, in uh, in a few months' time, I say, uh, get into office, they'll have the ability to press a button and wipe out millions of people instantly. Don't you find that fascinating? I find that pretty interesting. Like, can you imagine sitting around with people and they're all they've all got their eyes on the screen and they're thinking to themselves, one of these people will have access to the codes. And uh, at any moment, they could press a button and millions of people could die. And people really believe this stuff. They really believe that one of those two people you just saw on the screen uh, will have access to that kind of um, capability. You know, it's, uh, it's biblical, isn't it, really, when you think about it? One person, one man or one woman has the ability at a moment's notice to walk out the front of their room, say to the guy with the suitcase, open it up, buddy because I've got something to do right now, put a code into that uh, suitcase and then bang, the rockets get fired and uh, the world is obliterated, potentially uh, like a giant holocaust of flames and uh, chaos and mayhem and, uh, you know, atomic fallout and uh, nuclear winter. Uh, it's all very biblical when you sit down and think about it. One man or woman having the power to completely destroy humanity as we know it. And uh, hey, you get to vote for them, America. How great is this? Tune in and you get to choose which of these two people get to have that amount of power over the entire world. And people really believe this stuff. From what I can tell, the vast majority of people really believe this stuff. Even when you press them on, it's like, hold on. Yeah, I, I get that. But just hear me out here. Do you really believe that one of these two people will actually have the power in a few months' time to suddenly kill millions of people? Do you really, do you really believe that? And most people, yes, they haven't thought about it very far. They haven't thought through some of the consequences of it. They've never really been challenged on it. No one's ever questioned them on it. Uh, but even when they're pressed just 
in a brief in a brief way or in a in a simple way like do you really believe that though i'm not trying to argue with you but do you really believe that and uh, their initial reflex response is well yes and of course they have to believe that that is part of the show when you believe in the show that's part of the show whether it's implicit or explicit you believe in this idea that you get to vote and america gets to vote for a person they want to have the power to destroy everyone instantly and uh yeah very biblical isn't it so yes uh, that's about oh yes there's a nuclear bomb business oh and of course putin and syria and this, this is funny to me as well it's like i know intelligent people who will still try and tell me that uh, assad is a threat to the establishment and that's why they want to take him out and you know that the, the syria is one of seven countries without a rothschild bank and all this other conspirator and nonsense and uh, they try and tell me that they really believe that Assad is uh, like a genuine, you know, a genuine nationalist uh, leader of his country. And the, the US are trying to undermine him. Wesley Clark, seven countries in five years style. And I think to myself, that's an interesting perspective that you've got there, buddy. So you think that America is controlled by a small group of people, but you think that Syria is, uh, is actually as they're portrayed, they're a real country with a real leader who makes real decisions. You really believe that? And uh, for most people, the answer is yes. They do have to. Uh, they do have to believe this. They do have to believe that Assad is uh, outside of the system, and that geopolitics is real. Very interesting to me as well. It's like, hold on, man. Have you looked at a map with Syria? Look at the borders of Syria. Who do you think drew those borders, bro? Like, when do you think those power those uh, those countries came to exist as they're drawn now on a political map? And uh, most people don't know the answer. I'm pretty sure, and I haven't double-checked this for a while, that it was the Sykes-Picot Act after World War One, where France, and I think England as well, uh, just drew up the, the Middle East the way that they wanted it. This is yours, this is ours, there you go. And so it's like, okay, buddy, so one power 100 years ago, one or one faction of, of people, very powerful people, were able to draw these countries up. And you want me to believe that somehow, following mass, they lost power of those countries and now Assad is running that country genuinely for himself. And it's like, you really believe that? Okay, fine. If you guys, listen, if people believe that, I'm not going to try and change their mind. You know what I mean? Because I used to believe this stuff. So, but I'd never really questioned it. It's got the point I'm trying to make here. And I think if more people took the time to, uh, to think about it, really think about it, they might find that it's not the most uh, compelling story. So yeah, so we had you're a puppet, you're a puppet. We had Roe vs. Wade, late-term abortion. We had uh, nuclear bombs. One of these people gets the code to wipe out millions instantly. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then the uh, the Assad uh, and and also the Putin stuff as well. You know, because they kind of tie together. All very interesting. So yeah, look the 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 alt right. You know, I've been uh, looking into them a lot the last little while, listening to a lot of podcasts and trying to get my head around these people. And uh, you can tell that a lot of them do have their hearts in the right place, but my, oh my, have they been thoroughly misguided, these poor people. They, uh, they really believe that uh, Trump is anti-establishment, outside the establishment, and that if they support him, he's going to make America great again, and he's going to build a wall and all of this kind of stuff. They, uh, they really believe it. The poor buggers, it's, uh, it's a shame. Really, is it's a, it's a sad shame. But, uh, but, yeah, they mean well, you know, so you can only hope that, once they learn their lesson with Trump, they stick to uh, to the idea of, no, there is a, a better way. We don't have to go with the, the circus. And, uh, and hey, they could do good work. A lot of them, they're 
talented, well-meaning young people, technologically savvy, they understand memetics and how to spread ideas, and many of them have a good sense of humour, which is important as well. Many black pills in this uh, journey to deprogram. And so if you can uh, go through some of those black pill experiences but still come out with a good sense of humour, that's terrific as well. So lots of, uh, lots of hope, I think, for that small little sub-community, even though they've been incredibly misled on this uh, political circus. But, uh, but yeah, you never know what the future holds for those people. So I'll be releasing more work on the alt-right going forward. I've got some plans, but um, that, that'll take me a little while. I'm very busy at the moment with uh, other work. But the alt-right is worth investigation, I think, just because, like I said, there's uh, lots of good talent in there and they've been misled. It's a fascinating little uh, sociological experiment almost in a way to see how well-meaning people can be convinced that uh, one of these puppets actually cares about you or cares about your country. Very interesting stuff. So now, Alex, and I haven't had, uh, haven't had any uh, messages come through saying I want to join you on the show, which is fair enough because it is late minute, last uh, minute, late notice. So I might be wrapping this one up soon. Again, if you do want to join me just quickly, you know the usual channels. Just hit me a message up on Skype and uh, I'll send you through a link. But uh, I really can't be bothered just standing here talking. I haven't got any notes in front of me. I'm kind of just rambling a little bit. So it's not really that enjoyable, to be honest. It's uh, I kind of said most of what I wanted to say anyway. So if someone wants to join me for a chat, let's do that. But otherwise, uh, I'm going to wrap it up in just a minute. So what else can I talk about? while I'm waiting for any last minute messages to come through. Look, what I can do is go through the live chat and uh, we've got about 15 or 20 people watching. And it looks like uh, Maxwell Smart is in the live chat. He says that Putin banned abortions after three months and banned abortion ads. Did he really, Maxwell Smart? That's interesting. Because I think what Maxwell's trying to suggest here is that Putin is a better leader. This is a very common uh, belief uh, within the uh, so-called truth movement or uh, among alternative uh, material uh, viewers. They believe that Putin is a good nationalistic leader. This is pushed by places like Zero Hedge and uh, that sort of thing. So uh, I think that's what Maxwell is implying here, that Putin banned abortions and, um, you know, yada, yada. That could be true. I, this, I, I don't know if this is true or not. This could be true. So if Maxwell has a source for this claim, I'd be happy to check it out. But... Um, you know, I don't really believe very much about Russia. You know, a lot of people have a lot of beliefs about Russia, that they're this or they're that, or that Putin's doing this or doing that. I really don't believe very much because where am I getting the information? From the mainstream media, from the so-called alternative media, like Zero Hedge, <clears throat> from YouTubers. I mean, really, I don't, don't trust any of this stuff. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that uh, there's nothing happening in Russia. It's probably, I'm sure there's lots happening there, but how am I going to know about it from, from mainstream or alternative outlets? So just... Don't really believe much about the place. Well, I will say when the G20 was happening in Brisbane late 2014, obviously I was covering it on the ground as part of the ARP G20 summit coverage um, special, if you like, live shows every night, the Friday, Saturday and the Sunday. And I happened to see the Putin motorcade. This was in the middle of Brisbane, not too far from the Treasury Casino. I'm not sure what um, hotel he was staying in Putin, but uh, I went along and I'm sure I've got the footage on one of these hard drives around here somewhere. But uh, yeah, this was the day that I was carrying these placards. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, by the way, there was a G20 summit in Brisbane, Australia, which is where I was living at the time. And uh, I went and covered it. So the G20, you know, 20 countries or 19 countries plus the EU or something like this, they uh, sent delegates and leaders and uh, Putin was in Brisbane. And I actually went to the hotel as he was leaving. There was a bit of a crowd there. And so we were all, uh, you know, marked off. 
couldn't get too close for, for fair enough reasons, obvious reasons, whatever. And uh, yeah, I was the only guy there with a placard. I had my placard that was an anti-TPP placard. And uh, yeah, sure enough, I was the only one the police wanted to search because they had these um, extensive search powers at the time where they could just search anyone at any time if they were anywhere near the CBD. And uh, yeah, so all these people standing around wanting to see Putin or see some leader. And uh, I was the only guy who was searched by the police. And it was actually kind of funny because you could see a lot of people in the crowd. They were like, they could see what was going on. It's like, well, so the one dude with the placard, <laughs> the one guy who was here, he's not even protesting. He's just got a placard. He's not even saying anything or doing anything. Just happens to have a placard and the police have come up and searched me. You could see a lot of people in the crowd. They sort of put two and two together, at least on the on the small scale. They're like, well, that's a bit, it's a bit suspect, isn't it? Like you're only searching the one guy who isn't even threatening dissent. He just has a placard. I'm sure a lot of people in the crowd could could sense that that was, um, yeah, odd. But it was amusing to me. But yeah, they were fine. It wasn't like a fucking strip search or anything. It was just, can we see your bag? Blah blah blah. See you, whatever. The point of my story is, I saw Putin. I saw him. I saw the. Or I saw what we are told is Putin anyway. And uh, you know, off he went in his little in his little motorcade or. What have you? I saw the the Putin motorcade, the nonsense going on, and um, and yeah, you know that that that's about as much as I know about Putin. You know what I mean? Was that I saw his motorcade leaving the hotel, and um, and that's about it. So everything else that I read about him is just stories. They could be true stories, they could be false stories, but I just don't really buy into this. Uh, Putin is a great nationalist leader in Russia, and he's standing up to global hegemony or whatever because. Uh, yeah, to me, these are just fairy tale stories. I can see why people would want to believe in them too. By the way, I can, you know, it'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? It'd be a lot easier to live your life believing that there were good guys and bad guys out there, sort of above you, and the good guys were fighting for you. Man, that'd be a, that'd be a nice feeling if you could believe that, or even if they weren't people above you, but you know, Assad was really standing up, or Putin was really standing up, and you know, there was hope, and it was external to you that you could just sit on your ass and and watch someone else. Uh, fight the forces of evil for you, man, that'd be, I'm sure that'd be very, uh, for a lot of people, that'd be very energizing, you know what I mean? It would make them feel very pleasant, this idea of, well, uh, yes, there's bad dudes, but there's good guys who are bigger than me and they're fighting the the good fight. You know, that'd be, I'm sure for a lot of people, that'd be a very uh, pleasant way to see things. So I can see I can see why people would want to want to believe that. That does make sense to me, but uh, just because it feels good to believe something, doesn't mean it's actually a, a reasonable belief or a, an evidence-based belief. So, uh, so yeah. So people have, if people feel they've got evidence that Putin's a real guy, and you know, the the political circus in Russia is real. Uh, sure, that's. Uh, I'm not going to try and change your mind. Uh, there's, no, there's no point trying to change people's minds, is what I've learned, because most people they're never going to change their mind. They uh, they're stuck. So let's go back to the live chat, shall we? And Helen, I'm telling, says, what about seventh? Floor group JLB. I don't know what that is. So I wish I could answer you, Helen, I'm telling, but I don't know. Uh, Lee Harvey Hitler says, What up, John Q? Don't know who that is. Is he talking to me? Wake the Sheeple says, I can't watch the fake inbred pedophile family debates for puppet presidents. You can't watch them. Oh, you should. They're kind of interesting. They're funny. Like they're, they're amusing. There was the you're a puppet, you're a puppet thing. I found that amusing. So, you know. For a couple of hours of uh, light entertainment, I don't think, uh, you know, I, don't, I think he can do a lot worse than the presidential debates. And uh, Twitwit says, good night, JLB. Good night, Twitwit. Thank you for stopping by. 
Uh, Brown Snake says in relation to Putin, he is a nationalist leader, but he does get cucked, C-U-C-K-E-D, by the Jew. Yeah, this, again, this is another very common belief system that people have that, uh, you know, Putin is a nationalist, but he's operating under the uh, auspices of whoever runs Russia. Some people, like Brown Snake, will say it's the Jews. And it's like, okay, but you're still buying into this idea that Putin calls a shot. So there's one leader, you know, who's um, elected through the democratic process, no matter how corrupt that might be in Russia or elsewhere, that there's a person elected through that process who has the power to make the big decisions. And I just wonder why people believe that, why people believe that there's one guy or one woman, as the case may be, who makes the big decisions or has any significant say in the actual operation of the nation. I just say, why do you believe that? Is it like, is it just because you've always believed that and you've never questioned it? Like, why do you believe that? Because I've never been inside of a room where the big decisions about the country get made. Never. And I probably never will be and probably never will any of you either. So we don't know how the decisions are made. Why do you assume it's one guy dictating policy to uh, to other people? Why would you believe that? Like, seriously, this is a serious question. I'm being quite serious here. Why do you believe that? I think it's just purely programming. You've watched so many TV shows and movies and you just see one person calling the shots and you think, yep, that's how that's how the countries and the, and the nations and the world would be operated by all of these individual people making big decisions and, you know, dictating the direction of their countries. That's how it would be done. That's how it's done. Yeah. And then, you, and then once you've got that belief set, then it's like, oh, but that person is an agent of the Rockefellers or of the Zionists or of the Jews or of the whoever, right? But that person is their agent. But it's like, yeah, well, you can argue about who controls that one person. I just want to know why you believe that one person exists. We get given people on the TV and in movies, um, you know, portrayed as, uh, as individuals running the show. But would a country or a nation or a world really be run by one person or by a group of individuals acting uh, separate to one another? I don't think so. That doesn't really make sense to me at all. Now, it could be the case, but I just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure. And so without that, without that certainty about it that many of you seem to have, then it makes no sense arguing who, you know, who's, who's controlling that one person because it's like, well, what that one person is, a, is an actor. They're there for your entertainment, you know, every four years. What do you, do you really think this person actually, oh, okay, fair enough, whatever, you know. I just don't have enough beliefs anymore to, to get into arguments with people as well. It's like, man, when someone is convinced that this, this family or this uh, group of people run the whole show, when they're convinced of it, it's like, you're not going to change their minds, is my experience. No point arguing about it. It's like, you're, you're sure about that? Really? Have you got any evidence? No? Okay, cool. Well, let's move on to uh, another topic then, shall we? So, yes, uh, Helen, I'm telling, says I can't post the link JLB. Uh, all right, then, well, then I can't see the, the reference, can I? So, so yes, what else? What else is news? Um, don't really have too much else to report on from the presidential debate or anything like that. There's many other topics I'd love to talk about, but I just, I'd rather talk about them when I've got the notes in front of me and I'm feeling a bit more energetic, feeling a little bit lethargic today. Haven't been eating enough vegetables. That's the problem. Uh, wake the sheeple. Now this, by the way, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, because I'm probably going to put this video on private when I'm finished, because the production values aren't the best and I don't think it's been that entertaining. So what I'm going to do is now just tee off a little bit on some people. Wake the Sheeple 2016, you, you one of these flat earth believers, aren't you? 
Yes, you are. I'm pretty sure you are. You were huge on the Flat Earth last year. What the hell happened to Flat Earth, man? Hmm? It all died in the ass, didn't it? Hey? Just like people tried to tell you it was going to. It was a social uh, network of a loose group of disparate people around the world. Uh, first, at first dozens, then hundreds, maybe at its peak, maybe getting towards the several hundreds, who had uh, decided that Flat Earth was going to be the unifying thing that was going to change the world. And it was all going to go from 5% to 95% overnight. And uh, there are people like me saying, well, just hold on a second there, dudes. There's some problems with this flat earth belief system of yours. I, I like the idea of questioning science. Much of uh, science has to be questioned. And uh, this can be fun. This can be enjoyable. You know, let's, let's look at some of the religious beliefs that some so-called science, um, you know, followers or devotees. Let's just look at, uh, let's look at these things. This will be interesting. But no, there were many of you who said, nope, this is flat earth now. This is, this is the new thing. This is going to change everything. It's more important than everything. Every other topic comes under this topic. We're going to run with this and this is going to be our thing. And don't you dare get in our way because we'll uh, accuse you of being a paid shill or some of this ridiculous nonsense. And I was like, all right, then guys, off you go. Go on, have fun. This will be, this will be fun to watch, this flat earth malarkey. And uh, yeah, hasn't it all just died in the ass, hey? Hasn't it all gone to crap? Yep, uh, all of this uh, infighting at the top and uh, the leaders taking more money from people, losing balloons, you know what I mean? Oh, give us a few thousand dollars, we'll launch a balloon that will somehow prove the earth is flat. Oh, we had problems with the balloon. Uh, sorry about that, don't worry, we'll do it again. You'll all get another chance to contribute to a big balloon launch that's gonna prove that the earth is flat. Oh, yeah, cool. No worries. And then you've got other people like old mate Dan Pratt saying, oh, listen, guys, I, you know, I hate to, <laughs> I hate to do this, but I, I, I lost my welfare and now I can't feed my family. So if you could just have it in your heart to forward some money to this PayPal donate button, thank you very much. Or to this GoFundMe. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll feed my, I'll feed my family and, and, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make it up to you somehow. I'll, I promise I'll come back and I'll make, Lots more videos every day. Another video ranting about how I don't like the world and how I'm doing nothing about it other than ranting to a, to a camera. I promise I'll make lots of these videos. And uh, yeah, he made quite a fair bit of money from what I could tell old mate Dan Pratt. So that was a very clever little uh, money making scheme. If that's the if that's what you're here on earth to do is to make money, then that is a very clever way to do it. I would suggest at least for small time hustlers, it's easy cash, isn't it? So, uh, so, yeah, that's Flat Earth Now in October 2016. And, uh, yeah, what can I say? I've, I've learned a lot from watching it all unfold. The way that, I mean, you guys have to understand, and I'm sure many of you do, a large percentage of the people who are drawn to alternative content online, whether it's to do with people who believe in aliens, people who believe in faces on Mars, whether it be people who believe in, um, you know, the humans being put here by aliens in the past, whether it be, you know, Russia's really the good people and America's the bad people, or whether it be, you know, um, to do with the medical industry and certain aspects of that, or so many of these areas, a large percentage of the people who are drawn to them are people who, in many other realms in life, perhaps aren't as successful as they might like to be or as the system uh, suggests that they should be. And so there's uh, oftentimes a lot of resentment from these people. And there are other things that follow on from that. And uh, 
And so we're not talking to the average people when you're having a conversation in this uh, realm, in this scene, you're not talking to the regular person. The regular person, uh, in my country at least, uh, say, they're in, say they're my age, they've got a job that they work five days a week, oftentimes between the commuting or being on call, um, it's much more than 40 hours. They're very, very busy with work, a lot of them. And then there are their weekends or their, their downtime is spent generally watching television, consuming other forms of media, maybe hanging out with some friends, but still being constantly connected to their phones. Um, in many cases, there's some 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 drinking or um, other substance use to, to pass away the hours, potentially to numb some of the pain. And uh, and then come Monday, they, they go straight back to it. All of this, all of the discussions that I'm having that many of you have, it's foreign to them. They, they couldn't care less. A lot of the people who do care about this stuff are people who maybe aren't thinking as clearly as, as they could be anyway. And that's what led them to be, in some ways, not a regular part of, uh, of society in the first place, in many cases. And they need to bear all of this in mind. So uh, I did kind of go off on a bit of a, a tangent then, but I was making a point. I'll come back to it in a moment. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, the flat earth scene. Yeah, so this has been a, a fascinating little sociological observation for me personally. I read this book. Many of you guys use this term cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. Oh, he's, you know, I tried to tell him, but he doesn't understand. He's got cognitive dissonance, this kind of stuff. I think most people who use that term don't even know what the, what the term what it really means. I don't understand where it came from, any of this kind of stuff. But there was a guy called Leon Festinger, and he wrote a book uh, all about cognitive dissonance. In fact, he wrote a book entitled Cognitive Dissonance. But prior to that book, he'd released another one, ostensibly the recounting, the non-fiction recounting of a social experiment that he conducted with a few other social researchers back in the 50s. And it was called When Prophecies Fail. I'm pretty sure it was the title of the book. I read that book not too long ago, and it's a book that supposedly, and this is this is considered official scientific uh, literature, official academic literature. You know, Leon Festinger is still respected to this day as the father of the term that we use, uh, cognitive dissonance. And so I read that book, and I didn't really believe the story because they supposedly infiltrated, and again, this is all official. Like, this is not some random dude. This is official academic saying that he infiltrated, uh, like, a doomsday cult. Uh, who thought that uh, an ancient, uh, no, I thought that aliens were coming to save them, what have you. And I won't get into too much of the detail here, other than to say that reading that book, reading the story, be it true or false, but either way, officially accepted about how people, when they believe in something, uh, start acting very irrationally. And uh, when new data comes to them, and new information or new thoughts that don't gel with their worldview or their accepted um, overarching view, how they tend to dismiss that information or seek to um, remedy it by getting other information that, that suits their own worldview, reducing the dissonance that way. And then comparing that to this whole flat earth uh, thing that's happened on, on YouTube and uh, elsewhere, it makes for a little uh, fascinating sociological observation because whereas that book was written 50, 60 years ago and in many ways secondhand accounts of what supposedly happened, with YouTube we get a direct view. We get to see people actually uploading themselves, images of themselves oftentimes talking to a camera, talking about the earth being flat and how they don't like this leader has said this or this leader doesn't get along with that leader and how it's made them so upset because this person said this thing to them. And this is real time, real world observations of people acting in cult-like fashion 
and how they respond to new data coming in on a daily or weekly basis, which goes against their belief system. How do they react? How does it affect their overall psych, you know, psychological position? How does that lead to them treating others who they know online and all these things? Uh, obviously, it's all too much for one man just for me to document the whole lot. I've obviously been doing what I can. Uh, most of it offline, you guys don't see it, but I, I'll notice this or I'll notice that. And I'm just making little mental notes a lot of the time. But it's too much for one man to, to cover the whole thing, I think. But gee, if I was in charge of a research team and I wanted to do a, enough to date, a modern day Leon Festinger analysis of cults and cult-like behavior with a new twist, with a, a modern contemporary twist of, you know, via social media, monitoring these people via social media, which is what YouTube is, of course, it's just social media. And I had a research team to work on it. Boy, oh boy, are there treasure troves of data information that could be used as you know, observational uh, data for, uh, for a broader experiment, you know what I mean? You could even have, you could even have sort of formulated little hypotheses about, well, how would they react to this or to that? say a um you know a scandal involving some of the leaders we we you know we we, we hypothesize that when this scandal comes about these leaders are so well respected that most of the heavy followers the people on youtube every day with flat earth you know that couple hundred core group we hypothesize that the majority when they discover this will behave in this way to reduce the dissonance you know what i mean and then they could test to see well what has that person uploaded what have they commented what have they said and uh, you could start to uh, build an overarching theory or, or at least, uh, you know, analyze the cognitive dissonance model against the observational data today to see if it holds up. I think that would be a fascinating study, certainly more interesting than a lot of what passes for academic study these days. Now, is someone actually doing that? Well, I mean, in, in a way, I kind of hope so, because I'd, if, if they were to release their findings publicly, I'd be interested to, to read them for myself. But I would suspect if anyone is doing that, with this little flat earth scene that uh, I won't get access to any of their, um, you know, any of their publications or anything that follow as a result. But it would be pretty cool if someone was doing that and just, you know, analyzing, well, this person started off this way and then they pledged their allegiance and they got loved bombed and then this happened, that happened and yeah, all very fascinating stuff. So I think there is a lot to be learned from this flat earth scene and it probably will be going because it's not, it's not stopping anytime soon. So this will continue to be a, an interesting area just to watch how people who think they've found the truth, how they uh, how they react and how they deal with new information that contradicts it. So yeah, wake the sheeple. I uh, yeah, hope you're doing well. I hope you've uh, left your little cult behind. But if you haven't, you know that's cool. Whatever, I don't really care. Up to you. Now James Larson says, uh, I think JLB is waiting for the herds to catch up. No great paradigm change happened overnight. Um. Well, I don't think the herds, I mean, the herds, that's interesting terminology. Look, most people, this is what I'm trying to explain to you, James, and to many people who are listening, I, we, we, it's easy for us to get trapped in a bubble and we think, oh, I'm talking to this person on Skype or I'm watching this person's videos or, you know, what have you. It's easy for us to start to think, whether we realise it or not, that this has a better, this is more indicative of the rest of society than it really is. And sometimes you need to spend a week or two away from the bubble just talking to regular people listening to what they're concerned about in the world, what it is that um, fills their heads for most of the day. And then you start to see what a tiny little uh, subsection of society, this alternative realm is, this uh, the so-called truth community or the truth movement, as people call it. It's uh, so far removed from the average person's experience. The average person does not care about this stuff. 
even if you could sit them down and show them the truth. Say, hey, look, you know this Trump guy, you know he was an actor in the WWE. He played a guy called Trump. You know this Trump guy, he was an actor in The Apprentice. He played a guy called Trump. Now he's in this election with Hillary. Do you think, do you think it's possible that, that maybe what we're seeing is a little bit uh, exaggerated or fabricated? Is that possible? Do you know what I mean? And if you could just sit there and get them to sort of think through what's going on and, and just, show them, just show them basic facts about so many things that they're misled about, whether it's to do with immigration or, you know, race realism or these sorts of things. Even if you could do that, by the time they've driven uh, back to their workplace or back to their house, uh, they're back to thinking the way they were thinking. They're creatures of habit. We are, we're humans, we're creatures of habit. And so if people are in the habit and have been for years and years and years, in many cases, decades, of getting up, going to a certain place, coming back home, watching TV, that's probably gonna remain the, the case uh, for most people, even if you could sit them down and get them to think about what they're doing, think about uh, what it is that they believe still their life would go on pretty much normal. That, to me, that's just a, an obvious truism. So if, if James is saying that people like me are waiting for others to catch up, well, let's just pretend that I'm ahead of them in one way or another. Let's just, like, just say for argument's sake, I've worked out things that they haven't worked out, for argument's sake. There's no point waiting for other people to uh, come to that way of thinking because that's not the way that the world works. Generally, people remain thinking the way that they're thinking, which is why it's so important for the people who run the show to control the schools, control education, get children when they're five years old. I mean, I think in Australia now, a growing number of people putting their kids into, into childcare and daycare and every now and then you'll see someone saying, oh, we should put kids in school at four and more and more and more, the state is getting more access to the children and brainwashing them from a younger age. That's so important that you do that because once they get to 20 or 25, they could listen to uh, an articulate, educated, well-researched person present their evidence and their findings, show the logical conclusions that are being made. Too bad, man. That dude has believed nonsense for 20, 25 years, you see. So even if I was correct in many of my uh, takes on uh, the world in which we live, a uh, big deal because most people uh, don't care and will never care. That, to me, that seems like the reality. That's just how it is. I could be wrong about that, please, if, if people have counter uh, logic or counter evidence uh, or just a different position please I'd love to hear it but I think it's uh, yeah I think it's very a very naive take on how people function on how humans function programmed conditioned humans uh, function like programmed conditioned humans that's the way that it has been for at least as long as I've been alive you know so it's that's just what it looks like to me uh, let's see uh, Helen Umtellen says we went from debate to flat earth. Well, that is true, Helen. I think if you go back to the first episode of the Baller Skeptic Round Table and just listen to it, you know what I mean? Don't go in with any preconceived ideas. Just listen to what's being said. It was a discussion. It was a proper round table discussion. And that followed through for the entire series. Now, subsequent to that, I've discovered that it's not what you're saying that people remember it's uh, it's how they feel that they remember so if they feel like they're listening to people talk about flat earth then they're going to associate that with uh, like those feelings with the truth and so months later they'll say no no i listened to you talk about flat earth and, and you'll say well i don't i don't i don't think you understand it was a discussion 
that we were having, I wasn't promoting flat earth. Yeah, 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 you were. You were a total flat earther. Uh, again, if you just go back and listen to what was said at the time, it was a discussion. And I found it a very interesting discussion, a very worthwhile discussion. What do people know about the earth on which they live? How much can the average person prove? What is the correlation or the relationship between how confident they are with their beliefs and the amount of evidence they can actually provide? Very interesting stuff. Does this heliocentrism theory, does it have as much evidence going forward as people believe and how much of it can people uh, recount? How much can they tell you if you ask them for proof? At the same time, though, I was doing the same thing with the flat earth, saying, well, yeah, but if that's the case, then how does this fit in? And, you know, if, if, if what you're saying is true, then wouldn't that mean this and yada, yada? I was genuinely questioning both sides, and I think back then it was, uh, it was more acceptable. This is before it all turned into a cult, you see, my friends. This is what cults do. If you want to lead a group of people, you want them to be at least subconsciously loyal to you, such that any criticisms of you or attacks on you get deflected, the cognitive dissonance kicks in. You need their worldview to include you as being a, a great source of truth. And one way to do that is to ostracize people who question or challenge your truth. And so that's exactly what happened with the uh, Flat Earth online discussion. It went from a small group of people, including myself, saying, well, let's just have a look at this, man. People are going to call you crazy if you look at a topic. Why would you care about their opinions? Let's just look at the topic. Let's talk to these people. Let's see what they have to say. Hey, what's the big deal? And I still feel that way. Sadly, I didn't realize at the time that most of the audience, they're not really listening. They'll, uh, they'll have the show on. They might be ostensibly listening, but deep down, they're not actually listening to the conversation, the questions, the challenges. The, uh, the finer points uh, of what's being discussed, they're, uh, they're feeling something. And so if they're tuning in to feel like they're part of something special because of Flat Earth, then that's, that's what's going to happen, you see. So that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I've come a long way. This has been just over two years now that I've been doing this uh, YouTube podcasting and what have you. And I have learned a tremendous amount in that time in so many topics, so many areas, stuff that I couldn't have learned if I wasn't involved in this, paying the attention that I am. So I'm very thankful for it. But uh, to this day, it is a uh, uh, it's a, it's a mark against the the whole scene uh, for me. Looking back, one one regret that I have, if you can put it that way, is that uh, I just didn't understand how many uh, deluded fools, uh, well-meaning but deluded people, were completely misunderstanding what I was doing because they they don't understand. They they don't they genuinely are unable to understand some of the the meta aspects to intellectual conversation. But uh, how was I to know? How was I to know that back then? You know, some of these things you have to learn the hard way. And even as I've been learning these lessons and other people have been watching, one or two might have learned a few things, but but I do suspect it really is an entirely subjective experience. You have to be in the middle of one of these things and, uh, you know, meaning well and believing well and uh, being optimistic and then just seeing that piecemeal bit by bit, that worldview being, being cut down. My worldview at the time was different to what it is now in terms of people's capabilities, their motivations, their interests, the demographics of the people who listen, these sorts of things. I, the only way I could really get through that in the time that I did, I get through all of these misbeliefs that I had, all of these false uh, conceptions that I had. The only real way to get through that as quick as I did was just to jump headfirst into a scene like this and, uh, you know, sort of watch uh, what I believe to be the case be disproven time and time again until I came to the realization that my uh, my overarching view about people in this scene was wrong. That uh, they're not. Well, with very rare exception, they're not here for the same reasons that I am. They're here to feel good. And you can't blame them for that because this is what humans want to do. Humans 
want to feel good and we've been programmed to feel good. We've been programmed and trained to think that so long as we feel good, that everything is okay. And so a lot of people that turn on the 6 p.m. news, they feel good. They feel like they're getting the important information and yeah, it's pretty scary and you know, dun, 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 someone died and there was a fire and yeah, like it's kind of, <clears throat> pardon me, alarming. But there's a certain good feeling that comes from it. They feel connected to society at large and they feel like they're getting informed and it's a good feeling. And then a lot of people say, I can't watch the news anymore. This is clearly bullshit. This is clearly emotion pulling or some of what they say actually seems factually incorrect and I don't like them talking down to me like a child, which is how the news talks and whatever their complaint may be, they go off the news. Where do they go? Well, a small percentage of them turn up at YouTube and they listen to uh, people like myself. They listen to some of the many people who do live hangouts all the time and this becomes their new uh, form of feeling like they're involved and informed and what have you and it feels good. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, yes, for, for a long period there and maybe to a small extent to this day, I still do feel a little bit jaded by that experience of, uh, of expecting people to read books and to do their own research, do their own experiments. And, uh, and it turns out that so few uh, willing or even capable to do that. Uh, so I do feel a little bit jaded to this day and I was very jaded at a point. But now I think, man, that was just my fault. That was my fault for uh, being being naive to the real situation, you know? So that's no one else's fault but uh, but my own. And I like to think that I've rectified it to a large extent. I do have a much more, I think, uh, realistic understanding of who it is that gets involved in this uh, kind of scene. And a better understanding of people in general, I have to say, because, you know, it's been another two years, another two years of studying people online and in real life and listening to them and trying to understand how these people operate. And uh, yeah, I'm on, what am I now? Not quite 30 yet, but getting there. Hopefully by the time I hit 30, I can sit down and say, you know what, I reckon I've got a pretty good take on on how most people are, you know, online and in real life. And that, that'd be useful, I think, if I can say, yeah, I've spoken to them, I've listened to them, I've interacted with them, I've watched them, I've, you know, been involved, um, you know, up close and, and afar, watching people as they navigate new information and uh, ideas being presented. And I can say with good confidence now that most people, A, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So always learning, hopefully. And hopefully some of you people can honestly say that you're learning and improving, hopefully. You know what I mean? My YouTube channel said that I've got over half a million views now, over half a million views on my channel. I would like to think that other people have uh, benefited from it, really benefited, not feel good. Like feeling good, is that really benefiting? I'm not, I'm not so sure. But I mean, getting genuine benefit, getting good information, changing their lives in a practical sense based on the the improved theoretical understanding. I would like to think there are some people out there, but of course I would like to think that, wouldn't I? Is there any evidence that that's the case? Well, not, not as much as I would like, sadly. Uh, let's see, Joshua Biomechanics says, I vote that JLB calls another Baller Skeptic Roundtable. Well, here's the thing, Josh, a lot of people would love another Baller Skeptic Roundtable, and here's why they'd love it, because it would make them feel good. Tune in to Bessar Season 2, Episode 1, and feel good. Hey, here's a, here's a dude from Australia talking about this topic, you know, not getting emotional about it, just having a chat, having a conversation, making a few jokes. Uh, this is cool. It makes me feel good. And he's got a guest on, and he does the same thing, and it's, it's all very lovely, and, you know, and it feels good. Uh, people would love that, you know, and it's the best part of this YouTube thing is it feels a lot more intimate, you know what I mean? You watch TV, there could be a million people watching that show. It's, um, you know. But with YouTube, it's like, oh, no, this guy, I'm subscribed to his channel. I know I know this guy. I've seen him on camera and I listen to him. And this other guy, 
I love this video about this and yeah, I kind of feel a connection to these people. So it feel, in a way it feels even better. You know what I mean? It feels like a real sort of, um, like a real sort of uh, social, like um, intimate social thing compared to TV anyway. But how many people, Josh, how many people would really benefit from that kind of show? That's the question. How many people would really benefit from it? Because a lot of time and effort goes into those kinds of shows, let me tell you. And you want to try and, uh, you, want to, you want to feel as though there's enough uh, benefit uh, to make it worth your while. And, uh, and the last thing I want to do, Josh, is give people any more good, you know, free good feelings. You know what I mean? I want people watching my material to feel good. I got into all of this because I was like, hey, here's some things that I've found. Here's some research that I've done. I read this book and I went and double checked this guy's backstory. And it says on this website that he, this guy did this. And here's what I reckon about all of this. What do you guys reckon? Be part of uh, a more important, a more uh, illuminating conversation. That was the plan. Never got into this to be somebody's entertainer. So uh, James Larson says, it was not being naive, JLB. I think you're making good videos on an interesting topic. Well, thank you, James. That's very nice of you to say that. I appreciate that. I, I'm actually quite proud of some of the videos that I made. Uh, looking back, I think there was some absolute rippers in there. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with a lot of the work that I put out back then. But uh, again, you know, you're uploading content. You are a content creator. You're producing something, putting it out to the world. And there's, there's motivations that are involved in that. And so if your motivation is to get more people to question these things, to go and do the same thing, read books or read websites, come up with their own beliefs or ideas or theories, make their own videos, promote them to the world, and then you can benefit from their work and it can be an ongoing collaborative thing. If that's your motivation originally, and then you find out that's not going to happen. Most people are just going to consume content. They're not going to create any. And it can be really demotivating. So, um, so I look back and I, so long as I remember I made those videos for a certain intent, and at the time I didn't know any better, I can enjoy the videos for what they are because I think they're terrific. But if I, if I sit here objectively now, uh, what are we, you know, a year later in many cases, and I think, man, for the amount of time and effort that I put into that video, because some of those videos are like four, five, six hours, seriously. And I'm like, man, for the six hours I put into that video, was it really, uh, was it really worth it? And it's like, well, well you know, not so sure, not so sure. It's hard to say, but it's easy. That, that's in hindsight. At the time, though, I thought, no, this this is this is going to have an impact, and uh, and yeah, very happy with some of the the work that I did. So thank you, James. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Uh, James says uh, the truth feels good too. Well, yeah. See, that's the thing, though. For a lot of people. What feels good is the truth. You know what I mean? There's not a clear distinction between the two. So whereas you might think of it as being like an overlap, like a Venn diagram overlap, what I'm suggesting too is that for many people, it's a complete overlap. It's what feels good is true to them. There's no objective sense of truth. And without getting into like a an ontological or an existential uh, diatribe here, I'm trying to explain to you that in many people's minds, the world is a very different thing to what it is to you and me. Uh, their world is uh, the immediate and it is the routine and it doesn't go that much beyond that. And so when you say that the truth feels good, well, uh, I'm not so sure about that. I think a lot of people, the the truth, how do I put this? It's what feels good that's true. It's more the other way around. You see what I'm trying to say? So um, those are the kind of people. No, those are, those are not the kind of people I want listening to my shows, to be honest. Uh, no, I'd rather not. I feel like I can be a lot more me. I can put a lot more of what I really think into uh, into my work now if it's for a select audience. 
because the the wider audience, I do feel they are not going to get much from listening to me. That's just the way I I see it these days. I think they uh, they might feel good, but I never got into this to make people feel good. Okay, that that wasn't my wasn't my goal. So yes, uh, Helen I'm telling says, of course we're different now. J or B, you are no different. I'm no different to what? You've got to be more. You need more detail in these comments, dudes. And hey, no one has uh, sent through a Skype message, so I was going to wrap this one up, wasn't I? But I've kind of gone off on a bit of a tangent a few times. That's what I'm enjoying. This is not too bad. The walk can wait. Uh, let's see. Brown Snake says you should do a Flat Earth Skeptic Roundtable. You know, it's funny you say that. I had the exact same idea myself maybe six months ago now, back when I was releasing those, um, you know, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, you know, that, you know, that um, those videos I released just debunking flat earth argument after flat earth argument after flat earth argument, just going nuts. Must have released like five or ten in the space of a few weeks. It was, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, probably closer to ten, I'd say. And I did think at the time, man, it would be fun to do a Flat Earth Skeptic Roundtable uh, just for the lulls more than for anything. I thought that'd be great. But you guys have to understand a lot of time and effort goes into, if you want to do it properly, a lot of time and effort goes into producing those shows. You know, you've got to plan who's going to be on. You've got to speak to them, make sure everyone's on the same page. Then before the show, you've got to all get into the hangout early, go through the pre-production notes, make sure everyone's down with the agenda. Then you've got to host the show. If you're trying to host a good show, you've got to keep people on topic. You've got to moderate. Hosting really involves not getting to be part of the conversation the way that you'd like. People will listen. They'll go, oh, no, but you were speaking a fair bit. It's like, yeah, but I was directing conversation, giving other people a chance to speak. It was not really so much me, uh, you know, saying what I wanted to say because I was trying to moderate. And you, it's very difficult to moderate and to interject at the same time without hogging the mic, which nobody wants. So, you know, it's uh, and then it's two hours of doing that. Then generally there's an after show that's involved as well where you just decompress whatever. And then once the show finishes, depending on how you plan to, you know, share the show, you've got to work on the show notes and go back and get the timestamps. And, yeah, a lot of time and effort goes into these shows. And, uh, and yeah, I just never could commit that amount of time. At the time I was very busy, so I just couldn't do it. But who knows, maybe in the future there might be a photo of a skeptic around the table. So, uh, so, yeah, so I think we might wrap this one up soon, but I keep saying that. That uh, never happens. Uh, let's see. Everybody hates dead air. No one likes dead air. Um, yeah, that's about it. Any more? Any more comments from the live chat? I'm thinking I might make this one. Um, pardon me. Should be mumbling. I might make this one a uh, a private video and maybe upload a section or something. I don't know. But it's not up to my usual production value standards, so I don't think it'll get to stick. Don't think it'll get to stay. I'll have to keep the. Uh, the channels to the at least mediocre production values, at least. Whereas this one, I'm not even using a proper mic. I'm using the mic from the computer, the computer mic, instead of my beloved Blue Yeti. Uh, yes, so that's about it. So just recapping then, the big points from the big debate, the big presidential third debate, the last time the two leaders will uh, meet cross paths until election day. 19 days from today. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, a question from Lucas in the live chat. He says, back in Melbourne. Well, I'm back in suburbia. So I've uh, got access to high speed by Australian standards, high speed internet. And uh, I've spent the last couple of days just uh, vegging out, watching a few movies, actually. Uh, you'll like this one, Lucas. I went and watched Jurassic Park again for the first time 
uh, since I was a child. I went and saw it at the cinemas, if memory serves me correctly. I went and saw it at the time. And um, that's going back, what, the best part of, uh, oh, about 20 years now, isn't it? And so I went back and watched Jurassic Park again. Now, you might say, oh, but JLB, haven't you been investigating dinosaurs now for over a year? Like, wouldn't you have watched that movie? I'm like, yes, of course I should watch that movie. But when I talk about investigating dinosaurs, I mean more looking at the official story and trying to piece piece together what's happened there, not so much the pop culture. But, of course, I have to go and watch the pop culture to, you know, there's many benefits that come from doing that. And so I went and watched Jurassic Park a couple of days ago. And my, oh, my. Is it blatant what they're doing? I don't know if you guys ask yourself now, when was the last time you saw Jurassic Park? What what do you remember about Sam Neill's character, the main paleontologist character? What do you remember about him early in the film? What is it that he's trying to prove? Why is he different? Well, he's this uh, paleontologist who believes that dinosaurs evolved into birds. And at the time, this is still a theory that is apparently contested and in the film it's contested by a little fat boy and the little fat boy says to Sam Neely challenges him in front of the crowd he says do you really believe that uh, the dinosaurs turn into birds and then Sam the Sam Neill character this this lovely well-spoken uh, you know Australian Kiwi American whatever the hell he is some kind of mixture he says well let me take this little claw that I've got you know apparently uh, a claw that he found on one of his uh, excavation digs. And he takes the claw and he walks up to the child and he says, just imagine one of these birds breathing down your neck and when you least expect it, they get you. And, you know, he tries to scare the hell out of the kid. And, of course, he completely amogs this little kid, makes him look like a little loser. Big uh, Neil Harris, what his name is, he's the big hero. And the whole crowd, are, you know, they've been um, thrilled by his recounting of a giant, giant bird. And that seems to almost end the argument. It's like, of course, I believe dinosaurs turned into birds. And, uh, and then turns out this guy is such an expert. What happens next? We're whisking you away to uh, Dinosaur Island. That's how good of, a, of an expert you are. Now, where am I going with all of this? Well, somebody in the live chat says Sam Neill. That might have been his name. I don't know what name I've been using, but yeah, I think it was Sam Neill. Uh, so where am I going with all of this? Well, you've got a whole bunch of people in the early 1990s where they're watching a film where one of the somewhat subtle messages is that dinosaurs turn into birds. If you think otherwise, you're a little bit like that little fat kid and a paleontologist would put you in your place. And not only that, you'll, uh, you know, they can convince you by using um, emotions such as the fear of a bird attacking you that that's legitimate. That's legitimate discourse from a leading uh, paleontologist. That that's a convincing method. Yes, I believe that uh, the dinosaurs turn into birds. Look how scary birds are when they're this big. You know, it's ridiculous. But that's one of the messages, or those are some of the messages that are being implanted in people's brains at, uh, at, at a certain age. Now, that movie, a lot of people might remember that it seemed a little bit scary, especially scary for children, what have you. If you watch the film, there's very little actual violence in terms of, um, you know, gore or blood or anything like that. There are several scenes where horror is implied, where, you know, a, an animal might be getting eaten off camera where you can hear the sounds, and that would be traumatic uh, for children. Maybe not so much today, but 20 years ago, yeah, to an extent. But it still wasn't a film where you'd say, oh, you can't take your kids to see that. There's too much violence. There's not really violence. There is a bit of fear. There's a bit of horror. But it's, it's, um, it's passive enough or it's basic enough that, 
uh, I think a lot of parents would have felt comfortable letting their children watch the film. And so I put to you, where I'm going with this is I put to you that many young people did see that film. Certainly I did. It was released in 93. I seem to remember seeing it at the cinemas. I know that I saw it when I was young. Uh, a lot of people would have. So if I was six, seven, eight, even if I was 10, I was still young when I was seeing this film. And an entire generation would have been, whether they were five, six, seven, ten, you know, even people 13, 14, 15, there was an entire generation of people where when their minds are still developing, they're having this implanted in their head, these messages implanted in their head, because the film was not too violent for children to see. So many children would have seen it. And so anyone my age, anyone 30 or younger, yeah, dinosaurs turning into birds, for a number of reasons, this is just one factor, but you can see how I would argue it's an important factor when you're seeing big blockbuster films about dinosaurs and that message is just thrown in there, uh, I think that would have a big impact on people. And it's so blatant when you when you watch it um, after the fact, when you watch it like I did the other day, just watching the film for what it is. It's quite blatant when you see it there. And that's not the only example. I'll give you another one. What happens is they go to this dinosaur island and uh, they find that there's a sick triceratops. Now, for some reason, the Triceratops seems to have dinosaur skin on its front piece, on its guard, on its shield. Seems very weird to me. But anyway, they uh, they can identify Harris or Neil Harris, whatever his name is, Sam Neil. They can identify that the dinosaur is sick. This big Triceratops uh, is sick. And, of course, the Triceratops has a beak, looks like a bird, has a bird sort of head when you look at it, right? Fits in with the bird belief, hypothesis, claim, angle, call whatever you want. So anyway, uh, Sam Neill and his wife, they're both archaeologists or paleontologists, they jump off of their four-wheel drive tour to assist this poor dinosaur. So it's like a vet, it's like they're like vets now, right? But instead of being vets going out to a farm helping a, a poor cow who can't move its foal out or whatever, they're jumping off a, a Jeep at Jurassic Park Island to help a, a creature they've never seen in their life until a few moments ago, right? And whereas with the veterinarian, they have, you would imagine, studied in a, some kind of a university or college with animals, actually treating animals or seeing animals when they're ill, having done some hands-on work and then that becoming part of their job. You bring your dog or they go out to do a visit to a farm or whatever, they're dealing with animals, it's their job, that's why they can try to assist them when they say illness. These are paleontologists who deal with fossils, who deal with fossilised, supposedly, fossilised uh, dinosaur remains that are 66 plus million years old. So you've got these paleontologists who've never seen a dinosaur in their life, nothing even close, and they're going to treat a sick one the same way that a veterinarian would treat a sick animal. It takes uh, quite a level of suspension of disbelief to go along with this nonsense. Now, of course, a lot of people, they're, they're going to... The cinemas, they're happy to suspend their disbelief. I'd even go further and say that most people are living in a state of suspended uh, disbelief all of the time. Like they, they, They're so zonked out by television and other things that they're, they're, uh, they're always going along with silly delusions just because it makes things easier. But at least in the sense of a cinema, this is the idea. You suspend your disbelief to go along with the story. But this, this is a, a tremendous suspension of disbelief that you'd need to think that people who study bones or fossils, which aren't even the same as bones, they study these things, they would be wise enough, wise enough to assist uh, a sick diner, to diagnose a sickness and to treat it if they were to see one. And now where am I going? But this was the point I'm trying to make. 
it's setting up this idea that these people are so expert, so wise, so knowledgeable, right? The hypothetically, in a hypothetical scenario, if they saw a dinosaur, they'd be able to treat it, which is, of course, ridiculous. These people look at fossils, okay? Even if you take them on their word and they've found enough of these fossils to recreate a creature that they really believe is 66 million years old, fine, even if you really believe all of that. The idea that that translates into actually understanding the a living creature it's utterly ridiculous. But of course, this is what people need to believe. They need to believe that these people who, who read these books about these fossils are so knowledgeable. They're like the modern day equivalent of, um, of dinosaur vets. They're experts on it. And people do believe this crap. You can read articles where it says, oh, scientists recently discovered that in fact, the body temperature of this creature was much lower than they thought because this, you know, and people believe this crap. It's really ridiculous. So there you go, Lucas, to answer your question, I am back in suburbia. I've got access to the internet, as you can tell. And uh, pardon me, I'm, uh, yeah, I've been watching some movies lately that I've been wanting to watch for a long time. And uh, yeah, it's a real head spin, old Jurassic Park. Uh, let's see, any interesting comments that I can riff off before I wrap this one up? Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson has a new book out on our cosmology. I wonder how many copies I sell of those books. Uh, Brown Snake says, JLB, don't know how your research is going on dinosaurs. If you have not looked into reptile fossils, I suggest you do. You'll find a lot of great data for your work. Okay, duly noted. Uh, let's see. Wake the Sheeple says, dinosaurs created to keep the oil worth something. More oil sold for Big Pharma than at the oil pumps. Fact. This is what I mean about these people where they will assert things as though they're 100% true. Uh, they'll even use the word fact with two full stops, but they won't explain what their sources are, what their references are, won't even give you an indication. Not even I read on this outlet, this, 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 just saying this is the truth, this is it. It's like the um, it's like the Twitter generation, but it's even worse on YouTube because you know, people get used to writing these little comments in the live chat. And uh, no one, who gives reference? Even the people in this scene who make videos, how many of them actually provide any references or links in the info box? Almost none, you know what I mean? This uh, this so-called truth movement is a complete and utter joke. And um, people who still take it seriously, even after everything that's happened over the last year or two, uh, these are people who need to belong to something. They want to belong to something, so they think they belong to the truth movement. But there is no truth movement. There is no uh, truth community, my friends. There's a small group of people online who, to one degree or another, for one motivation or another, uh, they spend their time talking about things that are different to the mainstream and they feel smarter for doing it. They feel better. They, they forge online links, sometimes in, in real life links as well, about these beliefs that they have. But uh, in terms of uh, collaborating, producing new information, uh, modifying beliefs as and when needed, when the information comes in contrary to previously held beliefs, now forget about it. It's not going to happen. And really, I mean, I don't use Facebook anymore, but I'm pretty confident they've got these Facebook videos that are becoming uh, more widespread now. They weren't. I did use Facebook years ago. This hadn't become common yet, but I'm led to believe that now Facebook videos is a, is a bigger thing than it was anyway. And so if someone has a Facebook page and they upload a 30-second Facebook video to their Facebook feed, how is that any different to most of what's happening on YouTube? How is that any different to old mate putting his camera there and saying, did you guys see this? Blah, 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 blah. And how dare you say that? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, how's that any different? It's YouTube is just social media. It's just a form of social media 
you can use YouTube as a, a free um, media platform, like a media hosting platform. You can host your videos on YouTube for free. And so if you want to build your own website where the videos are embedded, but they're hosted on YouTube, it's a, it's a terrific service. It's amazing that we have this kind of access. But that's not how most people use it. Most people use this as the exact same as a Facebook page, except it's more focused on videos than it is on um, posting status updates or whatever. So there's a little bit more effort that goes into it, but with that comes you know, a broader, broader, broader potential audience. You know, anyone on YouTube can subscribe to your channel, what have you, and, and look at what you're doing. And so you know, with recommended videos coming up, the rest of it, you, know, you get a, probably a wider audience that you can attract with your videos on YouTube and Facebook, but it's still ultimately the same thing. This person goes to this person's page and this person goes to this person's page. You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see if YouTube brought in YouTube friends and it was the same as like friending or unfriending someone on YouTube because a lot of people on YouTube do this as well. They're like, oh, you commented on someone else's video. Ah, oh, we, no, we're enemies now. People actually like this. I know this sounds crazy, especially if you're listening to this and you don't follow the nonsense that takes place on YouTube with the so-called truth movement and you haven't been watching this flat earth um, thing that's happened. But this is people, like full grown people, all right? And you can, many of them, you can actually see them on camera. They're full grown adults physically. And they will do this. They'll say, this person commented on this other person's video or this person had access to this other person's unlisted video or whatever. How dare they? We're not friends anymore. Now they won't use those exact words. Usually they won't say, uh, we're not friends anymore. It'd be different. They'll start saying, oh, he did this or she did that. It's, um, it's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic that grown, grown people can act this way. Uh, it, you know, putting aside that they claim to be there for truth or for good causes, just any adult could do this. It's a, a real sign of our times, how infantilized people have become, how conditioned into utter stupidity and learned helplessness as well, these people have become, but they do this. And so it'd be cool to see on YouTube, like a friend thing, watch people unfriend one another. This whole flat earth thing would have been funny to watch, wouldn't it? You know, one person does a hangout, suddenly they're unfriended, that becomes a new hangout. We're friends again, we're friended, we're unfriended. I think he unfriended me, maybe he didn't unfriend me, oh, blah, blah, blah. Wow, what a world we live in. It's a little bit of a, it's a, little bit of a black pill, really, you look at it. These, these are people who have access to so much information. You know, they, anything they want to find out. The Cavendish experiment's a good example, right? I didn't have to go to a library to read a book about Cavendish. I was able to download what is presented by the official authorities as a facsimile, as a copy of his actual experiment uh, paperwork. I can read that instantly. I had to search for a few minutes to find it, but once I found it, bang, I could just read the whole thing. Didn't have to go to a library, right? I could just read it, then say, oh, really? Is this, you know, double check with other secondary sources? Oh, this is actually their story. And I was able to do all of that from the convenience of uh, the computer I was in front of. This is the access, this is the information that we have access to. And instead of using that to improve their own understanding and to improve the understanding of other people, almost all of the people in this scene who produce content get involved in the drama of it, the personalities, the people. For many of them, that's their main motivation. You look at these people in the live chat, especially some of these shows, they're just there for this social side of things. It is truly and utterly pathetic. And it's a little bit, when you actually realize what's going on, it is a little bit of a black pill because you're like, holy crap. These are the people who should know better. And really, in a better world, these people, you know, they, they, they wouldn't fit into a better world. These people would not fit into a better world. They don't, most of them don't fit into this world. But even in a better world, these people wouldn't be fitting in because 
people would be having intelligent conversations about concepts that are bigger, they're above the individual and um, his or her own emotional state at the time, right? And these people just wouldn't be able to partake in that conversation. Like in the, in the I, I think in the ideal world, rather than having many people get the information from one source, there'd just be this cultural sense of, well, I've got some time, I'm going to read a book, this is my interest. What's your interest? Oh, why are you interested in that? Maybe I'll be interested in it. Let's, let's have a conversation. It isn't simply about this person made me feel bad, so now I want to tell you about it, right? A more mature adult conversation. And that would just be the cultural norm. You would go to somebody's place of residence and they'd have a room where you could sit around and just have a chat. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, really? That, oh, that's, that's fascinating. You know what I mean? That's, oh, really? That's, oh, you know, have a chat. Um, these people wouldn't be capable of doing that. These people would, if you, if you put them, you know, in a room with other people and you had a man saying, well, recently I've been studying statistics on the uh, long-term health outcomes, psychological and physical, of mixed-race children. And the data says that oftentimes they, they end up much worse off than, than single-race uh, children. And uh, I think this is an important topic that should be discussed. And these kind of idiots would get triggered instantly and start going off on emotional tangents, on on. on babble tangents of, oh, you can't say that, and that's emotional, and blah, blah, blah. They're so conditioned, so programmed, so unable to undo that conditioning programming, that even in a, in a better world that encouraged conversation and, um, you know, attention to detail about the facts, they wouldn't fit in, you see. And these are people who have, you know, they don't fit into the current world, which is why they end up here, most of them. They wouldn't fit into a better world. They just, they're, they're gone, they're finished, it's over. The programming has uh, had its desired effect. And uh, these people are completely incapable of thinking for themselves and rewiring their own minds. It's a real tragedy. And it's a bit of a black pill, you know, when you first ex when you first understand this and you really get your head around it. Because you can you can tell yourself you understand it and you can, you know, you can think, yeah, that, that does make sense. But I think until it really becomes clear to you that you can be you know, in a room with people, people you care about, people you love, and, and see that this is how the, the human minds work, that they are so drawn to the emotion of, you know, discussing the latest little thing. It's um, when it hits you, it hits you. It's a real black pill. But that's part of the journey, isn't it, my friends? A big part of the journey is dealing with the black pills. There are pigs and there are troughs. There are ups and there are downs. Now, exceptional perception says it's called emotional mind control, and I completely agree with this. If you listen to the main, the top ten music these days, you listen to this music, you sit down objectively and you pay attention to the images on the screen, the messages in the lyrics, and you think to yourself, this is very, very powerful stuff. This, my goodness gracious me. And people are listening to this stuff on the way to work. Many even listen to it at work. They listen on the way home from work. They listen at the gym. These, um, these messages, you know, I'll give you an example. A lot of this faggoty music with, you know, guys like, oh, baby, I miss you. Oh, baby, I need you. And it's just like, what the hell is this? What kind of a self-respecting man would ever conduct himself like that in front of anyone, let alone a woman he uh, he cares about or a woman who he wants to be with, telling her how he, he needs her. And he's, it's it's just ridiculous. It's new male nonsense. It's not, not good values at all. But that's implanted in so many of these songs. You know, young men complain and, and, and sook about not getting women the way that you want them and... It's um, it's incredible stuff when you think about it. They they sort of, I think many young men, they are convinced that they're meant to spend a lot of their time worried about women, thinking about women, and then sucking up to them when the when the case comes. 
those of you who are who are smart enough to have thought about these topics for long, you know where I'm going with this. You know exactly what I'm saying. Like you don't, you would not raise young men to think that way about women, but that's that's what's being done with the music, and uh, it is it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. These bad messages that are in the in the music and what have you, and it's all part, I think, of emotional mind control. Training people to have these emotions, to focus on these emotions, to think that um, spending time in these emotional states is a positive thing. A man, a man spends half an hour or a day or however long, whatever period of time, thinking about this woman he misses or this woman he wants to get with or whatever. This time he's never getting back, and he's spending all of that time in a certain emotional state. And it's also true for women as well. I mean, possibly even more so with some of this music television, the, the effect it has on their emotions and what they think is normal. So they're constantly in these emotional states. And when they're in emotional states, they're probably not thinking straight. They're probably not thinking logically. And they're absolutely no threat to any person who is taking advantage of them, you know, the way that the system takes advantage of uh, so many. So, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, Wake the Sheeple says he's off. See you later, dude. All the best. Uh, people turn on those who do research and begin to challenge the globe, for instance. They are not incentivized to flat earth. Uh, yeah, listen, here's the thing, James. I don't know if you heard what I was saying earlier. The flat earth thing turned into a cult, okay? And this is so obvious now. The only people who had a problem talking about this, the people who were part of it, they got emotionally triggered. But a lot of the behaviours that uh, became uh, proliferated, they proliferated sort of in late 2015 and then right throughout the early parts of 2016, they were identical to what you would do in a cult or what is done in cults. You know, whether you like that or you don't like it, whether you think it was intentional or unintentional, organic or put there from above, whatever you think the case may be, the reality was that many of the behaviours that the leaders encouraged and engaged in themselves were similar to that of cults. And it had the same effect as having a cult where dissenting opinion is uh, shut out and all of the believers go on believing the most absurd nonsense and cannot be helped by anybody, no matter how well-meaning they might be. Which is why, James, you've still got people giving money to these charlatans, right? They're actually giving money to people saying... We're going to have a balloon launch and we want your money. Uh, we've, you know, one of them has a nice job working in an airport, supposedly. You know, the other one uh, makes enough money to run his own library and uh, apparently has a pretty decent house and a decent car. So these people aren't short a quid, but they want your money to launch a balloon, apparently to prove that the earth is flat. They fail. They keep the money and they say, we're going to do it again. We're going to do this again. You can contribute again. They claim, oh, if you want a refund, we'll, we'll give you the money back. But, you know, you're taken away from flat earth. This is, we're going to prove flat earth. And people are going to keep giving the money, my friends. That's the other thing you have to understand as well. Even if the majority of people who are involved in this now just mock it and ridicule it for the nonsense that it is, the ones who are believers will continue to believe. And they'll have to actually, what many of them will do is they'll double down. They'll kick into overdrive. They'll give even more money. It'll become even more important to them that this thing gets proven true and that it gets big because how much they've already invested in how much of a big part of their life it's become their worldview, they're going to need to see a succeed and they'll, they'll give even more. There's My friends, there's plenty of money still left in flat earth. Don't worry about that. Uh, you want to take advantage of people. Flat earth believers are right up there with the easiest people to take advantage of because look how much they've got invested in this. You know what I mean? This is going to change the world. It's going to go from 5% to 95% overnight. Yeah? People actually believe this stuff. And I reckon... Probably a couple hundred people uh, at its peak were genuine, devout believers. There would have been a peripheral sort of group around them, if you can demarcate it that way, who maybe believed, took part in some shows, but 
and weren't um, weren't as devout about it. It was more entertainment for them. But for that core group, it wasn't just entertainment. It was, uh, you know, a lot of them really believed that this was going to be the be the future. Their leaders were going to take over the world. And um, yeah, some of them still believe that. And you want you want to make some money. You want to make some money. Seriously, just go and start a new channel. Uh, try and present yourself well. Uh, try and sound um, educated or articulate and start a channel all about um, proving flat earth and how you're a flat earth believer and you know ridicule nasa mock nasa mock people like red's rhetoric as much as you can because you set up your um you're good and you're bad you're black and you're white you set up the dichotomy that you need for all of the trauma that'll help boost your channel and um and yeah you tell people that you need their money to prove flat earth and uh, you'll make cash i can uh, I can tell you a lot of confidence that, that that would definitely work. Just look at people like Dan Pratt. Just look at people like the Logue Busters. They're making cash from this, man. They're making cash. Whether or not they believe in Flat Earth, they're making cold, hard cash, my friends. And uh, in a way, you've almost got to admire that, the uh, amount of money that they've made. So oh, Lucas Cullen says, yeah, easier than passing a plate around in the church. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I've been to a church before. A friend of mine invited me to one. I liked the guy. He was a good guy. So he invited me to this church. So I said, yeah, man, I'll come along to your church. I'll check it out. And uh, yeah, love bombing from the moment you get there. Lots of smiles, lots of, don't want to say fake, uh, fake fun or fake happiness, but something that didn't seem completely genuine. Something about it, hard to put my finger on it. Went in there, saw the, the pre this was a Pentecostal church, by the way. Uh, and in like the Pentecostals, these are like the evangelical ones who even some of them take take part in that. Um, what's it called? Galalia or something like that, where you sort of, you know, speaking in tongues kind of shit. Yeah, seriously, not many of them, but some of them did at the front. And uh, what happens is and it, all of them, it was like a, a youth focused uh, service, I suppose. So all the people there were sort of late teens right through to their mid uh, 20s, well dressed, very well dressed. And uh, there was food provided beforehand. There were cool little you know, milk cartons, tips upside down as chairs. And, oh, it was all set up. Maybe a couple hundred people total turned up, I would say. And, uh, yeah, sure sure enough, the service is given. The guy gets up, starts speaking a lot of nice-sounding things about how we can do so much better. It's very motiv it's motivating as well. People go, they want to come away feeling it's a bit like a self-help, um, Anthony Robbins kind of lecture, if you like, where you've got to make people feel better about being here and what comes next and how you can do so much and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course... Uh, they reach the crescendo of each part of the service, which leads into giving, giving to the church, giving to others, how the Lord said that if you want to understand blah, 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 da, 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 you know, and here come the buckets. Literally, the buckets come out. They do the circuit. Uh, people put money in the bucket. Not everybody, but enough people. And then they start all over again. There was three of those from memory. See, the three or four of these where a guy gives a speech at the front, everyone's giving him attention, makes them all feel good. Then it leads into, by the way, give me the cash, and around go the buckets. Easy money. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is like a basic um, sales or marketing technique, I suppose. Um, you know, this idea of build people up, then get them to give. So it's certainly not um, just the church and flat earth domain. This is the general thing that the shysters and hustlers do. And of course, that's what they're doing with uh, with flat earth. No doubt about it in my mind. Uh, JLB, you need to listen to some Vernon Howard talks. And why do I need to listen to Howard, uh, to Vernon Howard Exceptional Perception? Tell me why. I've never heard of this guy. What is he going to tell me that's going to help me? Uh, please, I'd love to hear this. It'll be interesting. I'm sure there's still many people out there that have interesting things to say that can help me. But generally what I'm finding is if I want 
to know stuff, I've just got to go and read the books. You know what I mean? I've got to go down and read the books, take the notes. I learn so much more that way than by listening to any of the turkeys in this so-called truth movement because most of them are just turkeys, man. They're just jokers. They like the attention. Some of them like the uh, bit, what is it, um, PayPal donations. Attention and donations, for most people, that's more than enough for them to make a few videos a week or a few live shows, and, and they're quite happy just doing that. And the, the bar is set so low. It is just, I mean, in this scene, you, you look at the pathetic production values and the pathetic research that goes into so much of what's released. It's, it's deplorable, and yet it still gets watched. People like it. People don't expect any better. And so that's why you've got all these people that don't provide links to their sources, to their references. They don't tell you why they believe what they believe. If they've been wrong in the past, they don't show you how they were wrong so that you can improve from that. It's, uh, it's all a big shit show, my friends. I, I hate to have, be the one to try and tell you this. I'm sure many of you already know it, but the so-called truth movement, it's a joke. It's just a joke. It's that simple. It's just a joke. It's, uh, you're not going to learn anything important uh, by watching these charlatans on YouTube. If you want to learn, you've got to go and do your own research. And most people don't want to do that. It takes too much time to read a book. And also I've noticed as well, and this, this has been bad for a while, but I think it's getting worse with younger people. They need to have noise, right? They actually don't cope so well in silence. And, of course, reading a book, generally, you know, whether you're out uh, on the pergola or you're sitting in the study or what have you, generally when people read, things are silent, or at least that's the ideal. I think a lot of people, you know, they can't actually stand the silence to sit there and read. It's too much silence. So I think, what am I, almost 30? I think most people in their 20s, their, their non-fiction reading days are over, save perhaps for maybe a sporting biography or what have you, uh, something where they can take part in um, idolatry, where they can, um, you know, continue to idolise a, a great cricketer or a footballer or a basketballer or what have you. But beyond that, most people my age and younger, they're not reading non-fiction anymore. They can't do it, not just because of the, the noise that they need to have, um, just their attention span in general, then also the motivation. What's the motivation now to read a book? Once upon a time, there was a motivation beyond learning, which was passing the time. You know, well, I'm going to read a book. It'll be a nice way to, to see out the afternoon. Whereas now, there's instant entertainment, gratification, social networks, what have you. Uh, the book uh, no longer serves as a good medium for entertainment because there's such more stimulating entertainment to be had. So you put in the fact that people, uh, you know, they don't like the silence of reading. They're not in the habit of reading. There's much more stimulating entertainment out there. People's book reading days are just about over. It seems like to me, for young people, they'll still read their fiction and the women will still read their erotic fiction and that kind of crap. But uh, by and large, the nonfiction reading days of uh, my generation never really began, never even really began in school. I mean, you know, in schools now, they're using iPads. In Australia now, in schools, iPads or their equivalents are becoming, uh, becoming regular, becoming normal. And it's quite obvious what, what result this is going to have to anyone with a functioning brain. But most people are like, oh, no, this is uh, technology of the future. And, and the kids have to learn the technology of the future because they're going to be working in this technological environment. It's all this nonsense. And, uh, yeah, kids are getting stupider and stupider and stupider. And, I mean, this is another black pill that I could go into more detail about later. But um, let's just say that if you're looking to people like... Uh, the Huxleys, Aldous Huxley in particular, with his book Brave New World, and then his uh, was his grandfather, Sir Thomas Henry Huxley, I think it might have been. I think it was his grandfather, something like this. His work with Charles Darwin, uh, the relationship between these people and people like Galton and the people who came up with statistics. I mean, here's one for you, Lucas. You use the Pearson correlation coefficient regularly in your stats work. 
do you know where the Pearson correlation coefficient came from? All of this kind of stuff to do with statistics, who it was who was responsible for all of that, who uh, developed this, supposedly, and then helped popularize uh, these methods of statistical analysis and their interest in using this statistical analysis on human populations. How many of these people had direct links to eugenics and this idea that there are um, there are genetic explanations for people being the way that they are and we can seek to uh, use this knowledge to our benefit. You see, eugenics isn't simply about a bunch of people saying, oh, we want to make everyone's genes better or make our genes better. It might well be that some people feel as though there should be different levels of intelligence in the population or different levels of capability. They might think that society functions better that way. Aldous Huxley might have written a book, Brave New World, talking about this, about having the alphas and the betas and then the deltas, the gammas, and the epsilons, or the gammas, the deltas, the epsilons, uh, making people intentionally stupid so that they enjoy their mundane work, which somebody has to do. Maybe these people have written about all of this. Maybe a lot of this is foretold or it's explained to us through what is supposed to be fiction. These people using statistics. So, yeah, all very interesting. Now, uh, let's have a look here. James Larson says he reads 25 books a month. Well, that is uh, very impressive. Exceptional Perception says, take my word for it, JLB. Put a couple MP3. Oh, but I don't believe you, by the way. Reading 25 books, like to actually read and study a book. I mean, if you're just flipping through it, sure. I mean, maybe you could. But if you're actually studying a book, take, like, I mean, to me, what's the point of reading a book if I'm not taking notes that I can then put into a file later to revise my knowledge about the book? That's what I do with books. If I read them, I take notes. And then I put them into like a little Word file. So I can just revise the key points of the book whenever I need to. My key points, not someone else's. Uh, my key points and quotes, that's what I do. Uh, I, doubt, I doubt any person with, uh, with a job or any other commitments could possibly read 25 books in that style uh, per month on a regular basis. But I could be wrong. Who knows? I'm just very skeptical. You guys know that. So Exceptional Perception says, take my word for it, JLB. Put a couple MP3s on your iPod. It's deep psychological insights. He's not even alive anymore. Uh, okay, yeah, well, I mean, sure, I'll, um, I might listen to one of his podcasts today. We'll see how we go. It could be good stuff. I'm always open-minded to hearing new stuff. It would be interesting to hear what he has to say. So, yeah, so no one, no one has taken up the opportunity to join me on this presidential debate after show. Can't say I blame him. Not very high energy today. So who wants to join in and take part in this kind of uh, discussion? But uh, it could have been more fun. Unfortunately, we'll never know. So I'm going to wrap this one up soon. A big thanks to everyone who's been watching live, a live audience of about 20 people for most of the show. And uh, we've had people like James Larson, Exceptional Perception, Brown Snake in the live chat, Lucas Cullen with a little cameo. Very uh, much appreciated, all of you, for the comments. Any final comments that you guys want me to read out and respond to? Or are we just about done here? I'll give you a moment to get those final thoughts through. So just a couple of personal notes for those of you who are listening. I've uh, worked on the website a little bit. I haven't had much time. I've been a bit um, otherwise predisposed lately. But I've worked on the website and I'll soon have a members-only section where I will be posting a lot of members-only content. And uh, I am tremendously looking forward to it. I think a couple of years ago, I really enjoyed putting together my segments for the ARP and making videos. I felt like they were getting out to a good audience who would appreciate them. And I want to get that feeling back. And I think one way to do that is to have a member section where I know that the people seeing this stuff are uh, the people who actually uh, care for it, whether that's five or 10 or 20 people around the world. It's a lot more um, energizing and motivating for me personally at this stage in my little journey than putting out good content for people who mostly don't care. 
uh, you know, it's, you know, a thousand people see something and a few of them feel good and then uh, they lead their lives as though uh, nothing had happened. Oh, well, that's, that's great, but it's completely pointless. I would argue, put it out and five or 10 people see it, but they care enough to come back and watch more later, even though it costs them a little bit to do so. That to me is a lot more uh, motivating because it means these people actually care enough to, uh, to engage with it. At least that's the theory. So I'm looking forward to that. And it also means I can cover some topics that I just don't really want to cover with the wider masses. And I think they're ready for some of this stuff. I mean, even some of what I've touched on just in the last 15 minutes, uh, if people, if I was to walk their hands through this, not just say, oh, here's a few key names and a few uh, key relationships. Why don't you look into that? Which no one, no one listening to this is going to look into that. But if I was to take the time to walk you, like to take your hand and walk you through the connections and show you what's happening, there'd be no way for you to, uh, to misunderstand what's being said. But would that be good for you? If someone like me explained to you in simple terms with basic facts that anyone can double check for themselves, here is what they're doing, here is how they've done it, here's what this means for you, here's what you can and can't do about it, et cetera, et cetera. Would that be beneficial for a lot of people? No, I don't think so. I think a lot of people, uh, they uh, they like listening to stuff that makes them feel good, but stuff that really rocks their boat, nah, it's not not really good for them. So I don't think, I don't think they'll be missing too much that would actually benefit them. And really, when you're content creating, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to benefit the people who see it. You want to benefit yourself. You want to benefit them as well. Uh, let's see. So that's about it then. This one's been maybe a bit of a ramble, a bit of uh, stumbling and mumbling and what have you. But um, I haven't broadcast for a couple of weeks, so still a little bit rusty. But um, I might make this one a private. I might release it as an MP3 or something. We'll, uh, we'll see how we go. But uh, that's it for now. So on the 20th of October, 2016, the third presidential debate after show, John LeBonne signing off. And until next time, you guys take care of yourselves.